Hi guys, this is James. And Anna. Coming to you from Miss Bonsi's English class. Today we're going to discuss The Samurai's Garden by Gail Sugiyama. The novel is set in Turumi, Japan, in the midst of the Second Sino-Japanese War. We look forward to sharing our thoughts, ideas uh, and about the book, and conversing with fellow readers later in the podcast. Upon falling ill while attending university, Stephen, the main character of the novel The Samurai's Garden, is forced to move away from his home in the crowded city of Hong Kong to his family's summer house in Turumi, Japan, in the midst of the Second Sino-Japanese War. Stephen stays with Matsu, the caretaker of the summer house and master gardener. He learns to embrace differences, navigate conflict in his life, and learns profound truths about the reality of life during his stay in Turumi. Now we're going to listen to Sam, another student in Ms. Bonsi's English 10 class, who's done research into into the life of Gail Tsukiyama. Yeah, so Gail Tsukiyama was born in San Francisco and currently lives in El Cerrito, California. She was born into a family with a Chinese mother and a Japanese father and is currently 62 years old. Her background has influenced her writing because all of her books, including The Samurai's Garden, are set in either China or Japan. Tsukiyama's heritage influences the Samurai's Garden because Stephen's father is Japanese and his mother is Chinese. Since Stephen's parents have the same ethnic background as Tsukiyama's parents, Tsukiyama has may, has, may have given Stephen's parents similar traits as her, as her own. For example, in the Samurai's Garden, Stephen's parents worry a lot and are, dis- and are disconnected from each other. These may be things which Tsukiyama, in fact, experienced with her own parents. Interesting. I agree. Do you think that since both Gail Sugiyama and Stefan-san uh, have a Japanese and a Chinese parent, do you think that their experiences growing up somewhat mirror each other? Yeah. In terms of the plot, I'm not sure how much correlation there is between Gail Sukiyama's past and what actually happens in the Samurai's Garden, but certain aspects of Sukiyama's childhood, such as the war, are likely seen in the Samurai's Garden. Hmm. Thanks, Sam, for your research and expertise on the author. Now we get to hear a little bit about background history and environment from Alec. Hello, Anna. Thanks for the introduction. No problem. So, this novel is set in the late 1930s during the Japanese invasion of China and the years leading up to the Second World War. It is a moving tale of learning how to overcome the worst that life can throw at you. In this novel, the worst is represented not just by the invading Japanese armies into China, but also the main character Stefan's battle with tuberculosis and an entire village's population who is forced to deal with the effects of leprosy, a disease that slowly eats away the skin. Told in the form of a private diary, with sections separated by seasons, the most significant theme throughout the book is how people learn to deal with isolation and alienation from others. The historical context of the war between China and Japan served to create the space in which the honorary gardens that are involved in the book are allowed to expand into symbolic figures of escape and beauty that um, are pitted against the ugliness of the world beyond one's ability to control. So basically, an escape for the characters. What adds a powerful obstacle in Stefan's life is that although his family is from China, everybody that he is around and living with is from Japan, so they have completely opposite views on the war. The thought that the entire, the entire village has those opposing views of the, that agree with the ravenous Japanese army haunts his mind because his mother and little sister are back at home in China and currently being invaded. Thanks for your extensive research on the book, Alec. Not a problem, Anna.
now that we have some context on the book, um, let's have a little discussion. James, uh, how do you think Stephen's financial status affected the condition of his illness? Well, I think that if Stephen's father wasn't so well-off and wealthy like he was, Stephen obviously wouldn't have been able to move to Japan uh, to wait out his illness and the war. Uh, and he would have been stuck in China, which is, it's, the environment is terrible, pollution, it's too crowded. I think it would, it's much better that he had the capability to move to Japan. Mm-hmm. And you think even the, the headspace that he was in in Japan, like he wasn't under attack constantly, he wasn't feeling threatened, you know, mm-hmm. it was a lot more calm. Do you think that helped his illness too? Yeah, definitely. The mental aspect of living near the ocean with the uh, Matsu's garden and Matsu taking care of him at all times definitely helped uh, his illness. How do you think that Kiko, the relationship between Kiko and Stefan-san like affected the story? What do you think it meant? Um, I think it meant that um, two people from opposing sides, it was almost like a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing. I think that um, it showed that even during this time of conflict that um, people from opposing sides could get along. Um, and I think that was really interesting because, you know, throughout the story, we kind of see this narrative of, like, us versus them, um, even with, you know, the whole leprosy thing and Saatchi having being exiled and people committing suicide because of it. So I think it shows that people can coexist despite their differences. Yeah, I think it definitely does kind of play on Romeo and Juliet, the lovers from opposite side and dif- disapproving parents. Mm-hmm. And even though it didn't ultimately work out, it didn't work out in Romeo and Juliet either. So That's true. How do you think, um, talking about romance, how do you think uh, Stephen's family and especially his father will handle the father's affair? I mean... He is cheating on his family from China during with a Japanese woman during this, um, you know, kind of conflict and this really rough time. Do you think? Do you think that he has to choose to, between Japan and China, or is he? Can he stay loyal to both sides? Well, I'm no expert on the laws of marriage in Japan and China, but I'd say it's definitely going to hurt the family, mm-hmm. obviously, because his father's more or less abandoned his mother with all mm-hmm. the kids in China, which is currently under attack. Yeah. Which is not really a good move. It's not, it wasn't cool of him to do that. Mm-hmm. Even though this has been going on for 10 years and no one figured it out. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, I mean, I think this father will, he's not going to completely abandon them, but I do think, you know, the marriage is at this point unsalvageable. But I do think yeah. that the father is going to continue to take care of the family as he did for 10 years when he was cheating. But I just don't think that, I mean, I don't think it's going to completely tear them apart, but I think, you know, I agree. It's going to take a toll on the family. Things are going to be different. There's going to be, there's going to be tension there. Yeah. Well, in this story, there's obviously strain between the different relationships like this affair and as well as um, when uh, Kenzo sees Matsu and Sachi together, he doesn't react well and eventually commits suicide. How do you think that plays into it? How do you think they compare? Um, I do think that there's tension on both sides. I mean, obviously there's, you know, exile and there's conflict all over the place. But I think that um, Kenzo's reaction was, even though it, feel, it felt a little extreme to me, because, I mean, he 
he knew Saatchi was had leprosy, this disease, and you know everybody exiled her. But he, I feel like he didn't love her enough to, you know, go move with her. Or even though they were already engaged to be married, I just don't think that they there was real hard concrete love there that would have kept them together. And I think. The situation was handled in a much more extreme way, so I just yeah, feel it's like reaction suicide. Mm-hmm. Suicide was a little bit extreme to me. Extreme as you can get. And I think that the fact that he called her a monster was incredibly unfair and rude. Yes, definitely. With Kenzo's reaction towards uh, seeing her again, why do you think that she ended up going to his funeral uh, despite the disrespect he showed her? Um, I think that. Sachi really, she's had to live with this for something like 40 years. So I think the fact that, you know, Kenzo was so hostile towards her, but then died, I think she just needed, you know, some closure to, because she's obviously had to deal with this for a long time and deal with the fact that they never ended up getting married and that there might have been some love there. There might have been a future maybe. So I think that, um... You know, it was all for closure and all so that she could kind of resolve this gap in her life. Yeah, I think, like, no matter how he treated her in the very end, they were super close for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that definitely caused her to go to the funeral. Mm-hmm. Do you think after the funeral and after Kenzo's suicide, do you think Sachi feels some kind of liberation or freedom? Um, I think it definitely, you know, gives a... <laughs> like, a definite answer to the question, could they have been? Um, obviously, after he dies, you know, that relationship <laughs> is over, and it doesn't leave um, Sachi guessing anymore. And it also opens up some possibility for Sachi and Matsu, um, you know, to spend the rest of their lives together, which I think is really sweet. But, um, yes, I think I think there is or should be a sense of liberation there because... Um, you know, now she knows and she doesn't have this huge weight hanging over her. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, I don't think liberation is really the right word because it's a person committing suicide, which mm-hmm. is really a dark thing. But I think it's definitely takes something, it definitely changes her life, kind of simplifies it a little bit more. Now we would like to invite some of our guest speakers on. Here we have Jonah and Hattie. Do you think that Steven regretted leaving school and moving to Japan? Well, I think that he didn't regret it at all. Because I feel like this whole experience, this whole year, has been a very spiritual, spiritually moving experience for him. Yeah. I think he found out like a lot more about himself, staying away from the commotion. And while certain events from his homeland, like the war and other things, did find their way back into his life, I think it was a big rest for his spirit. I also think he didn't really have a choice in moving to Japan. His family <laughs> and his... Specifically, his mother wanted him and needed him to leave school where he was struggling and sick and going to a place where he can rest and rejuvenate. So I think that, yes, he did not regret it after he'd been there and learned and grow, grow, grew, grown so much as a person. <laughs> but also, um, he might have been a little bit um, resentful or ungrateful in the beginning. Yeah. I agree. I think that if it was up to Steven to make the decision, initially he would not have wanted to go to Japan because he wouldn't wanted he wouldn't want to leave his family. So um but I think 
Um, after the fact, he appreciated it more than hmm. he would have. How have Stephen and Matsu changed throughout the story? And how did they change each other? Well, I think that Stephen came as this weak and unstable boy who came from like a very privileged family. And I think that as he grew into Rumi, he learned more about struggle and love and um, making deep decisions. And I think that really changed him to become a more calm and peaceful person with more of a social awareness for situations. Interesting. I, um, ideas? I agree with that. But I feel like Stephen also had a big impact on Matsu, too. Because Masu, I feel like, has been in this routine for, like, the past 50 years. And now Stephen comes in and he kind of shakes it up a little bit. And I feel like he sort of showed him, like, what it's like to have something new in his life again. And a little bit more, an element of more chaos, if you will. Yeah, I think that um, Matsu just got something missing in his life, such as the son that he lost. I think that that was a super significant point. And Stephen was someone who took up, filled a hole in his heart and made him feel more valued. Interesting. I definitely agree with you guys. I think that um, by Steven coming to Tarumi, I think it allowed Matsu to, you know, open up to more people because he has been kind of secluded for a long, long time. And I think for Steven, it allows him to be, like, more exposed to this, to people he hasn't seen before and to new lifestyles. And I think that it makes him more aware as a person and more um, almost sensitive to the world around him and what's going on. So I think it was really good for both of them. What do you think the importance of Sachi and Matsu's gardens play in the story? Well, I think that they really symbolize their life and how life um, requires uh, taking care of constantly and respect. And I think that it just symbolized a lot of peace that Matsu had through all those years and how this garden was a place for him to be himself and take care and relax. I um I agree with that, and I also feel like them each having their own individual gardens that they sort of raised, you know, and they sort of developed it in their own vision. It sort of eased them with the fact that they missed out on having a child where they could raise their own garden instead. You know or, what I mean? And for Sachi, she missed out on having having a life. So this the, her rock garden was something of her own, something a little bit of beauty for her to have. So the gardens fill some hole in their life. They yes, and represent their life but, and their struggles and the 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 constant taking care of that they require. I'd call them sort of a chicken soup for the soul. Wow, <laughs> that that is deep. Yeah, that's a good one. You're welcome, James. Well, earlier in the podcast, um, James and I were having a little discussion of our own, so we wanted to ask you. Um, what do you think Kiko and the rest of her family add to this story? Well, I feel like Kiko sort of connected. I feel like sort of Kiko was his girlfriend, right, in his new life, but they couldn't be together because of his old life. And I think that sort of really stressed the tensions that he was facing between his new life and his old life. I agree, but I don't think she had that large of a significance on the story. I think that she more represented the cultural tensions between these two parts of life, like Jonah said. But I think that Kiko in general was not was just a little bit to add a little fluff and keep the story somewhat interesting. Yeah, but it also connects back to the Japanese-Chinese war yes, that's currently of course. going on. It's the second Sino-Japanese war. Se- second Sino-Japanese war. <laughs> My bad. Well, thanks for coming on, Hattie. We're gonna no add- problem. <laughs> We're going to ask Jonah a couple more questions. See you later. Do you think that Matsu became more of a father figure or a friend to Stefanson throughout the story? Well, I feel like they definitely developed like their own dynamic over the course. I feel like at points, maybe he could be viewed as a father figure when he was like 
sort of instilling silent advice to him, especially during the times where his father was having the affair. And, like, I feel like he sort of felt like his real father wasn't being much of a father. And I feel like Matsu could have stepped into that role. But I feel like also the way that they, like, began to share secrets with each other, that was a pretty friendship-like relationship as well. So I think it could lean either way on this one. So you think that it's a mix, like, Matsu filled the hole when Stephen's father, the affair was exposed and he left, but before that he was more of a friend? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I feel like the fact that they were, um, you know, alone together in Harumi um, kind of forced them to become friends in a way. Um, so I feel like that also helped, um, even though they were both hesitant at first. Do you think that Stephen's father's affair was necessary to the story, and how do you think it changed it? Well, I think that Stephen's father's affair definitely sort of highlighted the end of his old life as he knew it, where back back when he was like a family, with like, you know, before the war and everything. I think that really... That sort of forced him to sort of realize that, like, you know, life's different now. And, you know, my father's not the person who I once thought he was. But in general, like, my life is not how it once was before. Yes, but his father had been having this affair for 10 plus years now. I feel like he didn't know about the affair, though. I feel like it's all arbitrary to whoever sees it. That is a good point. Uh Here we have Mehdi, a special book critic who also read this book. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I thought it was a good read, to be honest. Um, very well written. Um, and yeah, I'd suggest it. Very apt analysis. Yes. Well done. So Jonah mentioned earlier in the podcast that this book was kind of like a, a chicken soup for the soul. Would you agree with that, or how do you feel? <laughs> I definitely think chicken soup is a... It's an interesting way to put it, but uh-huh. it kind of... It <laughs> it's not like a, a Lord of the Flies, but it's also not, um, you know like something by Shakespeare. So I would recommend it to someone who kind of likes to do a lot of thinking while they read, except it's not super confusing with the characters. So, and I don't think it's super, super hard. So I, you know, I think it's a good book. It's not necessarily a light read, but... I personally didn't think it was like quite a page turner. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was able to put it down after reading my chapter. (laughs) Okay. Other people might not have felt the same. This was not my favorite book. I'm sure other people love this. Uh, I'm more of the action kind of guy, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't think. Okay, I agree. It wasn't a super page turner, but it was. It wasn't a bad book. I I enjoyed uh, it. I can see how other people enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, that concludes this episode of our podcast. We talked about the Samurai's Garden. You should go check it out. It's it's a good book. Um, we would like to thank all of our special guests, um, Hattie, Jonah, Mehdi, making a special, special appearance. Sam, Alec. Sam, Alec, James, my co-host. Anna. Miss Bonsi, and everybody else who, especially Gail Sukiyama, okay? Everybody else who helps out with this podcast, thank you for listening. We really appreciate you spending your time listening to our book review, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.